I'm Colin Rowan, the Director of Communication for Pecan Street. And I'm Rachel Jenkins, Pecan Street's Director of Operations. And this is Over Our Heads, a new podcast produced by Pecan Street, Inc. here in Austin. For today's conversation, Scott talked to longtime Pecan Street partner, John LaFollette. John is a physicist by training who has worked for most of his career advancing clean energy technologies, working for organizations like the Department of Defense and Shell New Energy Technologies. In his new role, he's working at the cutting edge of microgrid development with Houston-based startup Green Structure. I think the most interesting part was the discussion about how to define a microgrid. It's a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot, so I found John's explanation to be particularly enlightening. I thought the same thing, and I think John is a really good person to talk about an issue like that. Before we send it to Scott and John, a quick plug about Pecan Street. Listeners can visit pecanstreet.org slash news for our latest blogs and announcements and pecanstreet.org slash events for our upcoming webinars and events. And that will do it for Rachel and me. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoy this episode of Over Our Heads. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or visit pecanstreet.org slash podcast for a full list of episodes. Hello, everybody. This is Scott Henson. Uh, welcome to Over Our Heads. Um, uh, today, I am very excited to talk to John LaFollette. Uh, I have known John for a couple of years now uh, across a couple of different companies and uh, one of the smarter individuals that you'll ever talk to. So, uh, John, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Scott. I, I, I don't know. I have a lot to live up to now, but uh, I'll try, you know. I think you'll do okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm John LaFollette and uh, yeah, so I've uh, been working in kind of the renewable energy uh, industry for about the, the past five years and then in energy since uh, 2011. Um, I'm a physicist by training and so um, I got my I PhD. Not to hold that against you? That's right. Yep. Yep. So if, being a physicist is a dangerous thing. When I got my PhD, my advisor said, okay, now you're officially a physicist, which means people will listen to you on topics that you really have no knowledge of. And so, you know, that was kind of his caution when handing me the degree. Uh, but then I worked as a, you know, I worked as a scientist for the DOD um, uh, for a couple years, uh, trying to come up with automated ways to, to make our harbors safer from unexploded artillery shells and things like that. And uh, using sonar, and uh, then you know, I did a lot of modeling, simulations, data analysis, and all that work. And then uh, 2012 or 2011, I joined joined Shell and uh, worked in their conventional energy business um, in R&D, you know, trying to develop uh, lower cost ways to monitor how oil fields are being produced. Um, you know, sometimes uh, how that's done is you take a picture of the earth and then, you know, people do a lot of things to the earth and never really have another picture. And I, I tell people it's kind of like an orthoscopic surgeon that uses the original x-ray to do the whole surgery and then hopes things go well. And so I was trying to come up with ways where you could see more real time what's happening. And some of those technologies are used now. Uh, but then I was fortunate in uh, 2016 after Shell launched their renewable energy business I was one of the uh, the people that was lucky enough to be able to um, see their R&D group. 
And um, so I started out, you know, my first, <laughs> so I was kind of a pretend geologist. I was a physicist turned pretend geophysicist. And then, uh, and then I got to, to start working as a pretend electrical engineer and power systems engineer. And uh, my first job was to build a microgrid. And uh, I was like, well, what is a microgrid? What is that thing? You know, and it turns out no one really knew. They just knew they needed one. And uh, so, um, you know, and that's uh, part of how I met Scott was we, we built this great facility in, in, in Houston, Texas, which is where I'm based now. And uh, spent the next uh, oh, three, three and a half, four years using that facility to really understand, try to understand what are ways you can put combinations of renewable energy assets together that will add value to the environment, to the people who owns the system, and then to uh, to the people that operate the network and you know wholesale markets, things like that. And uh, grew that from a team of just myself uh, to about ten people globally. And uh, then uh, just uh, late last year, I had the opportunity to join a, a, a new company, a startup. It's called Green Structure. And uh, the, goal, the goal and ambition of Green Structure, and it's why I, I, I chose to move on, was that, you know, we want to we wanna help have an impact and help, you know, small and medium businesses meet their, you know, their uh, sustainability targets by using things like solar and batteries and, and, and also their, their, their targets in terms of cost and resilience. Um, I really believe in distributed energy resources. And, you know, I think that's going to be very important for the grid. And I guess my, my current role then is to really define what are, what are the strategies and the products that we can offer that will have the biggest impact. Um, and so that's been very exciting to really kind of think, more of a white space and you know uh what are the best ways for us to put put systems together that can add value and uh yeah so that's uh that's kind of a, a snapshot an overview and really excited about uh just getting to talk to you scott i always enjoy when we have time to just chat about different topics and so uh so yeah yeah well um i'm gonna go right back to that that microgrid because uh, I developed a microgrid for Pecan Street, and you developed a microgrid there, and you're working on microgrids now. But, but as you said, sort of nobody, like everybody, bandies the term about. Yeah. But what does it mean? Because like mine was a completely different scale than yours, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and they they both qualify, right? So yeah, does that help? Do you think does th- this lack of definition? What where do you? Where do you, where would you like to see it defined? How would you like to see it defined? And yeah, I struggled with that early on. I was like, okay, I'm going to be building a microgrid. What's a microgrid? And so I looked up for definitions of, well, I did what any, you know, self-respecting scientist would do. I Googled microgrid. It's 90% of my day. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I looked and I'm like, okay, well, you know, the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab has a nice definition, you know. Uh, a collection of loads and loads and uh, uh, sources that can present themselves to the grid as a single controllable entity, which and, and and is capable of islanding, right? So that's good. That's the proper. That's a proper definition. But what I've come to appreciate over time is that the way people really want to use uh, that term, um, it's really to describe a collection of dispatchable assets, a collection of assets you can control. And I, it bothered me early on because, you know, as a, uh, 
you know, self-respecting, condescending scientist, you know, then I would want to correct, like, no, 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 that's not a microgrid. You can't island, right? And after a while, I was like, you know, um, this is just how people view it. A microgrid is something that gives you a, a somewhat of independence from the grid around you. And I think that resonates with people. And so I could be installing a battery or a genset, a reciprocating engine or some type of a genset or, or some solar. And that asset is going to give you a little bit of independence from the grid around you. And I think that's sort of at the heart of it. That's more at the heart of, I think, what people are looking for. Mm-hmm. And so I've come to accept that. Um, I, I'm going to use the mi- word microgrids for a battery <laughs> that's uh, that's on a customer's site, and that's okay. It doesn't meet the official definition, but um, but that's what people want to see. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm okay with this broader definition. And scale doesn't really matter to me. Uh, so I, I, as you know, I have an electric vehicle I recently purchased, which is a golf cart. And I told my daughter that I'm like, hey, we can make a rolling microgrid. Wouldn't that be exciting? You know, I could put solar on top. Then I calculated and 15 minutes of driving, it would take the solar like nine hours to recharge. <laughs> okay, well, all right. It's, it would be fun in principle, but yeah. So, so for me, it's okay. As long as you, you have an asset that allows you to influence um, how much power you're relying on the grid for, then that, that, that's a microgrid in terms of how I currently view it and how you know we look at it, I think, at my current company as well. I like it. The the scale thing drives a lot of people nuts. And yeah. And and I mean, they're like, oh, if it's under this or if it's over that, <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. Because the, the yeah. one I did was sort of like 10 and a half kilowatt peak yes. output, right? Yeah. And 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 you know, sizes are gonna range wildly, but with the the one that I did, we could we could run a house off grid for days if we yes. needed to. Yes. And 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 that qualifies like that yes. we have changed their interaction with the grid. We have given them that independence that you talked about. Um now that when I did it it wasn't even remotely financially a good idea. <laughs> but but as a technology demonstration it was fantastic. Like we got yeah. to learn so so much. Um so w- one of the things that that when we learned was because we had given ourselves this amount of flexibility, we didn't necessarily know what the next step was, right? <laughs> like, this is fantastic. It works. Well, what does it do? Yeah. I don't know. Let's go find out, <laughs> right? Like, the market structure then becomes an issue, right? Like, yeah. how do we because there there is a value on that security portion that por- portion of it right there is a value yeah. on being able to to change your interaction with the grid you have backup power you can island if you need to you can do there's there's value to that but that's not the only potential value stream yeah um so, but right now the market is so complex it's really hard to get into it right yeah is, is that a problem Yeah. I mean, it's a problem on many levels. I don't feel good. You know, you have, if people have these microgrids, businesses, and if you talk kind of about the residential sector where, you know, people have, maybe they have solar in a battery, having that solar in the battery, self-consuming that solar with the battery, that that makes it easier for the, the grid operator, right? 
You know, they're, they're making now straight solar without a battery. All right. That's problematic. And you know that better than probably most people in the planet. But if you've got the solar and the battery and um, you are doing things that make it a bit easier for the grid operator. And so the thing that bothers me a little bit is right now you have people paying for equipment and they're installing things that are providing them some energy independence. And that also um, is, is providing some value to the grid. And I think people should be compensated for that, mm-hmm. you know, and that seems, it seems a little unfair. And uh, so I, I would like, I would like to see, you know, th- and things are, I think policy is evolving in that direction. Uh, I, I like in, in, you know, there are regions where if you have over a hundred kilowatts, then that that's, that's good enough for you to be able to start participating in some of these programs where you can get compensated for that flexibility. Um, but it would be good to see ways, uh, even down to the residential level where there was some opportunity to take a share of that value that you're providing to maybe, you know, the grid operator and others. Uh, you know, we see, I see the same thing, right? Like, like I'm seeing this policy shift, um, in some ways, you know, like, sometimes it's changing in terms of rate structure, time of use, right? But then you have to be a savvy enough user and consumer of your equipment, whatever it is that you've purchased. If it's that, if it's that solar plus battery storage, right? Well, do you have it set up right to take advantage of whatever, um, uh, rate structures in place and rate structures can change. Um, you know, they haven't, it, where I live in Austin, they haven't, you know, they went years without a rate structure change. Um, and then when they did, it was the first one that that's people had seen in something like 15 or 18 years. So a bunch of uh, Austin Energy consumers were like, wait, what is this? You can do this? Like, <laughs> it had been so long that they were, they were flummoxed by it. Um, but that simplicity to me, uh, especially for those small businesses and consumers, that simplicity to me, it, I think that's going to end up being um, uh, something that's pretty important in the future, right? Like yeah. if it's not simple, the, the, an equivalent that we have is um, irrigation systems, right? Like yeah. you're just programming your sprinklers, but you'd, if you get good enough water data, you'd be shocked at how many people can't program their sprinklers yeah. correctly. Yeah. <laughs> or, or the, and I'm dating both of us at this point because we've both done this, <laughs> the blinking VCR, right? Like, <laughs> um, uh, I, I interviewed somebody once that had at the very last line of their resume, can program VCR. <laughs> um, they got the job almost based on that alone. Like if they're, if they're going to be that good of an engineer and have that kind of sense of humor, sure you're in. What's, what's today's equivalent? I'm trying to think of what today's yeah, equivalent is because yeah, I don't yeah. want it to be these energy systems, <laughs> right? Like you don't want these things, you don't want these things charging during 4CP and then discharging in the middle of the night. Like this is, yeah. that would be an epically bad idea. Yeah. 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 You know, and so there's, there's two things. There's a couple aspects that come to mind when you mention it this way and and you're saying hey let's simplify the rate structure so that the consumer um can make make good decisions and and add that value to the power grid right and uh and what happens if that doesn't happen right because what what the consumer really wants is 
Um, they want lower, I mean, they want several things, low carbon, low cost, but low cost is always top of mind. That's always on the list, right? So they, they want to save on their bill. And, and so if it's too complicated, that creates an opportunity for people and, and businesses to come in and say, hey, I know it's complicated. Energy is complicated. We can come in and let me, let me take care of it for you, right? So I will, I, I will go ahead. I'll operate the system. I, I hire a guy. To, to program my sprinkler, Scott, you know, he's not that expensive. So, and so he comes in and he takes care of everything and I call him up and he'll winterize it too. And right. so I'm getting all the value out of my sprinkler system. And this guy, who's a very nice guy, he has a job, right? right. So it's good for him. It's good for me. And in a perfect world the you know, things would be saying that maybe things will become more simple for residents and consumers to leverage uh, some of these tariffs. But I don't know, man, you know, things, I just don't see things trending in the natural direction of simplification when it comes to tariff structures. Right. You know, that's what I don't, maybe I'm being pessimistic, but (laughs) <laughs> but well, the I don't know, of history says you're probably right. Yeah. So then, as long as the assets become, because now you got to, now we just agree. Okay, now I'm going to have to pay someone to handle the complexity for me, and that means that if this is going to be low enough cost for me to save money, and then also now starting to impact the net carbon footprint because I'm going to do solar and batteries, and I'm going to save money. Um, that opportunity be more and more as the the assets are, are less expensive, then you can afford to have somebody come in and do that management for you and take the complexity away. Um, so it's going to be solved in one of those two ways. I hope, I, I hope you're right that the <laughs> utilities will simplify the rate structures so that people can leverage it. But at the very minimum, that there should be changes so that um, everyone can be compensated for adding value, right? And, and making life easier on network operators and utilities. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to go back to a conversation that we've had before, um, talking about, uh, machine learning. Uh, yeah. um, you know, we, we have both dealt with it, um, sometimes successfully, sometimes less then successfully, um, yeah. <laughs> to put it politely. Um, and, and I think that there is this sort of, you know, every, every few years there's this new buzzword bingo and, and AI ML is right in there right now. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's in there. And there's this perception that, that it can sort of be this universal solution to things. Yeah. And that's not the case. Uh, training of these things and making sure that you are willing to accept the answers of some sort of black box approach or not, or, you know, however you want to approach these things is pretty critical. Um, You know, in Texas, uh, there's, there's a lot of work on um, and a lot of value around for CP and we've seen some ML approaches to it. Um, And sometimes it's worthwhile and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, if you have a two hour system, you can almost get 95, yeah. 98% of these things. Right. Yeah. Uh, how, I mean, where are you on that? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And you know, it's, 
I like to talk about it. So when I manage expectations, so <laughs> I am, I'm not, so I'm a physicist. I'm not even a pretend machine learning expert. So you know, I'm, a, I'm a pretend engineer and I'm a lot of pretend, but I'm not even a pretend. I've been sort of adjacent to machine learning approaches my entire career. Mm-hmm. Because you think about two ways you can solve a problem. Um, you know, you can, if you if you have some insights into how systems work, then you can build a model that will incorporate how different systems work together and what kind of behavior you will have. And that's really kind of a physics-based model, understanding of how things work. I bet you dealt with that all the time in the sonar. Right. And, right. and sonar and and uh, and uh, there's always I see physics in everything and my brain was damaged in a way when I got my PhD in physics to view problems a certain way mm-hmm. and so I kind of approached them all in a similar way but and so even in sonar right you know image recognition and all these different things um, but the challenge that I would always put back is um, it's not magic dust that you sprinkle on a problem and it gets solved. Um, machine learning, right? It's not machine knowing. They're learning. They're learning. You know, they're trying to get there. But that they can't, uh, it can't be effective unless you, data is not good enough. You can dump data into a machine learning algorithm. and uh, But if the information you need is not in the data, then you won't be able to solve the problem. And so you have to have data that has information in it, which mm-hmm. is representative of what you want to do. And then you have to build the algorithms. They have to be trained and operated so that they can, and an obvious one is forecasting, right? Where you're trying to predict the future. And you had a, a physics-based or a kind of a, you know, a more rules-based approach where you're like, you know, those four CP events, most of them happen between 3.30 and 5.30 p.m., I think that's a pretty good way to do it. We could do it that way, which is what, you know, like our facilities engineer knows that. Right. And then like, okay, or I can use machine learning and use weather data and all of these different inputs and metrics uh, to try to predict it. But the first way was almost free, right? Because your brain's already busy working on stuff and it can come up with that answer. Right. But the other way, you've got to get, you know, a small army of very bright, you know, machine learning folks to build the algorithm, run and maintain the algorithm. So you can imagine that there's an opportunity or, or there's a cost for jumping. It's, so it's not free magic dust. Um, it's not magic and it's expensive dust, but sometimes that's all you can do. And uh, so, you know, in my view, and as I approach this problem in <laughs> every time I come at it is I've seen machine learning really work where you just don't have another alternative. And so you really need that. And it can do things you just can't do with a physics-based approach or a rules-based approach. But I want somebody in every scenario I go into, I want somebody to prove to me that the, the dumb way doesn't work. And then that the, um, the investment you have to spend to make a machine learning approach and pay for it is, um, is a good investment. So what you're getting from that, it will pay for itself, the money you spend on that machine learning approach. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's how I view it. And, you know, so current, you know, in my current, my current role, we, we look at both approaches and, um, you know, to do things, uh, there are things that you really just, you, 
problems you can't solve with simple rules. And so you've got to have a machine learning approach that has forecasting. And that's really the cutting edge of the future. Uh, but for problems like you mentioned, when you're talking about when to tell an industrial site to turn their chillers off, hey, two hours a day in these four months, every afternoon for two hours, just sh shut them off. You don't even need machine learning for that. So I just think it's very important to have somebody who isn't a champion for either approach to take an honest look and say, can we do this in a simple way? If we need to go more complex, will it pay for itself? Those are the questions I always try to answer with machine learning. I'm I'm totally stealing that line of it's expensive magic dust. <laughs> I am totally stealing that because because that I mean and and it's true. There are some things that you just can't get through a through a, a physics based model, right? Like you just you're just not going to yeah. get there. Um, yeah. uh, and and. Um, or if you do, it's going to take you so long and so many experiments and so many different things yeah. um, that that it's just it's not appropriate. Whereas, you know, that black box approach where you're not exactly sure how it made the decision based on those yes. inputs. Um, but as long as you're comfortable and ha still have somebody um, monitoring it, the, the thing that we've run into is we've we've been a part of some programs where they've had some very advanced approaches and 95, 98% of the time they worked very well, but when they went off the rails and nobody was there to catch them going off the rails, like they didn't even have necessarily some, some simple rules to bound them. Yes. Uh, we, we were getting do this signals that were completely inappropriate. Like you yeah. knew they weren't like, Hey, let's charge these batteries at three forty-five on a Thursday afternoon in oh. August, <laughs> right? Like full charge now. But like, no, no, <laughs> sure. We we yeah. kind of doubt that it's it's actually the four CP window right now. But electricity yeah. is also eighteen hundred dollars a megawatt yeah. hour. We're yeah. not charging these batteries. They're yeah. at eighty percent capacity. At the yeah. best case, we should be idle. Best case, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was you know we've we've seen that before, right? And and so so yeah, I'm I'm stealing that. It's it's expensive yeah. magic dust that you have to you have to make well, the right choice. It's expensive and it's not magic. It doesn't <laughs> always true. work. That's true. Yeah, so it's expensive <laughs> and it's not even magic. <laughs> um, so, uh, what is cool microgrid application that you're excited about doing soon? If you can talk about it, I don't want I don't want to hear any secrets. Like, do you have, do you have something new that you're trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. So, man, uh, I am super excited and this is something that I've wanted to have the opportunity to do since I, I built the first microgrid <laughs> that was, you know, my first task when I got into this space was, um, all along we knew that, um, the reason microgrids are so expensive is because every single one is a precious, beautiful snowflake on a on landing on a butterfly. It's so special, and whenever you do that, two P's, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when, pages of drawings. Yeah, yeah, and it's gonna do everything for everyone, and and the problem is that is really expensive, and you know, and you can't. Um, I want to see uh, microgrids. You know, your every man's microgrid, right? I want to see microgrids uh, at a level, a cost level where 
you know, everybody that needs resilience and wants to meet their low carbon targets, they can have a microgrid, right? But we're not going to get there with snowflakes and butterflies. And so uh, what I'm excited about and have been putting a lot of time into is thinking, all right, how are we, how can we take the, uh, it's not the perfect solution, but this is, you know, okay, 80-20 is used a lot, but, you know, this is a very good solution for a lot of people. And if we just decide that here's what it kind of looks like, it's some batteries and some solar, maybe some natural gas engines in some scenarios, then, then we can all agree that here's what's in scope, here's what's on the menu for this, and, uh, and, and then <clears throat> you replicate. And by doing that, I'm, we can drive out the costs and get it to a price point where we can help we can help a lot of people lower their carbon footprint, increase their resilience with microgrids. Um, they're not perfect. They're not you know they're not snowflakes. They can't do everything, but they're going to add value to a lot of different people. And the so the words there are okay productization, standardization. Um, so you you know, designed to some specifications that are broadly applicable. And because as you know, for behind the meter projects, in terms of the cost stack, those integration costs, soft costs are a very huge portion of the stack. They're gigantic. And that's that's the snowflake portion of the cost stack where we're trying to make it special, perfect for everything. And so my goal, I get to be, you know, very rigid and robust around, all right, you know, we said we can only do we we can't do that. That's that's not that's not one of our products. We can't do that because we can't meet our goal of low cost, more people, lower carbon, right? So right. that's what I'm excited about. And uh, you know, unfortunately, it sounds like you've you've almost described the guy that stops feature creep um, <laughs> and says no a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Really fun, but you are going to get to the part that you want at the yeah. end, right? I mean, I would, I would rather fail by being focused, right? right. <laughs> if, if, if we, if we, you know, and so if if we hit some lumps on our heads because we're too focused, fine. But the industry has been trying the other way to fail for years. For years, by, by not being focused, and so that. I mean, that how many, how many that projects across this country have you toured? Like I've yeah. been, to, I've been to them in San Diego, <laughs> yeah. Dallas, uh, yeah. Houston, New York, uh, yeah. you know, and and like each one, I'm like, okay, well, you had two embedded software guys, uh, two PLC programmers, yeah. an API programmer, uh, four electrical engineers, two mechanical engineers. Like the list just goes on and on and yes. on. Like, yes, that is not sustainable. No, like no. I would love on to, to make sure that. I would love to make sure that every single one of those people has, you know, a, a great employment opportunity, but just not at the expense of every single location that you put them in. Yeah. Like, and, and it's not sustainable because we don't have enough people to do all the locations that we'd like to put them. Like we yeah. just can't. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, the little house one that I did was I was the embedded programmer, right? Yes. I was also the, AC side electrical engineer. We had a DC side electrical engineer who was also the PLC programmer. Yeah. And then we had an API guy. <laughs> like it was yeah. just and it was probably the cost of the home, right? If you uh, put it in a home, it's about as expensive we, as the home or, or twice it as expensive. It was about 50% of the cost of the home. 
Yeah. Uh, by the time you were done. Uh, I'm not going to share any market intelligence with you, Scott, but I think that's probably too high. <laughs> I don't want to, maybe I could get in trouble for sharing that, but. <laughs> uh, I don't think the tax credit's going to cover it, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so yeah, I, that, I mean, that, you know, our project was sort of trying to, to, push that same direction like yeah. just and just put put some of this design elements out into the open source to see if anybody picked them up and ran with yeah. them right yeah. and just and just prove that it could be done so that maybe more people and we're starting to see elements of that in residential products yeah. right um you know the the newest lg for for residential purposes the newest lg um uh ac inverter uh ac and dc inverter set uh, does an awful lot of those functionalities. Um, yeah. they, are, they are fantastic in terms of of the flexibility that you'd want, the integration. You still have a bunch of, on the residential side, because of permitting and things like that, you've still got a bunch of soft costs, right? Those soft costs can still add up to be the cost of the inverter itself, um, which is frustrating, right? That's still frustrating for me. But I mean, that amount of progress has been encouraging to me. I would just like to, I still, I'm impatient on these things and I would still like to see yeah. it move faster. Yep. I agree. I agree. So on the uh, data side of things, um, which is where, you know, on the residential side, we play a lot, right? Like, like I work for an organization that c- collects a lot yes. of data. Is there something on the commercial light commercial side that is missing for data? Is there, is there pieces that you would like to see? Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's a challenge. And uh, I love that Beacon Street has a beautiful database, you know, for the residential um, space. And, you know, for us, when I think about, all right, you know, I really want, you know, we want to, I want to, I want to design systems that have the broadest applicability and then standardize across, you know, if I pick this standard set of functionality, then how many customer loads can I have a material positive impact on, right? And digging into it, I'm like, all right, you know, and I just was trying to get some statistics around load shapes for the commercial industrial sector. And how's that going for you? I found a lot of data, but not a lot of information. Okay. (laughs) Right? So, and well, there are databases, but I'm like, man, I would like to see some comprehensive assessments of, you know, here are the characteristics of these, and there's some work that's done, you know, uh, you know, in different, in different, uh, in different places on this. But I just didn't find any, you know, concrete, actionable information that I could design to. And you know, I'm not in a. <laughs> I've been in positions in the past where I can just go, okay, well, let's, uh, you know, let's do a university project and you know, have somebody sift through this data and give me the statistics I need so that, but I don't have a year, you know? And so I do, I I do wish there was more uh, statistical information on load shapes in different regions with the lens of how do I, how do I manage that load profile to add value to that customer, you know, to that person. And because if you think about what's going to get microgrids installed, that's, you know, that's really it is, you know, the, the more that they're going to add value. And so let's talk about the commercial industrial sector, the small business sector. 
Um, it's a different mindset, right? As a residential customer, you know, we're people, I'm a person and you're, you're a person as far as I know. And, um, and so we don't always make rational decisions, you know? Oh, no. So we're like, we can get excited about, you know, um, you know, having that security of resilience or, you know, over pay more for my electricity. So I can have an impact on my environment. Yep. But when it comes to these businesses, it's a different mindset. It has to be lower cost. And, and so um, that's changing. It will evolve over time. There's more, comp- more and more companies are announcing sustainability targets. I want to see the, you know, actions meet those targets, hopefully more in the future. Uh, but if we want to do it today for most of the U.S., then we got to be able to show that, all right, you know, for the, these load shapes, I can have a material impact by installing a microgrid and I'm going to give you reliability and lower cost and sustainability all in one. Uh, but it's hard to design to that and standardize without this sort of, you know, statistical analysis of a significant sample set of loads. Yeah. I talked to some, uh, some players out there and they'll say, oh yeah, we've got load data. We've got it. What do you want to know? I'm like, well, you know, can I see it? I'm like, well, we can tell you, we can tell you things about it. I'm like, well, how are you going? How are you going to figure those things out? That's proprietary, but we'll tell you. It looks good. Uh, about like this. Yeah. Like, okay, well, I'm not going to pay you for that, but you know, yeah. so uh, that's one of the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, the the way I've described it for years at conferences when when back when we could do conferences and be in public <laughs> talking public oh, right and i'm sad don't why'd you bring that up sorry uh, but, but i would i would talk about you know my parents went through hurricane ike in houston you've you've lived in that area long enough you remember it yeah, right yeah. um and they were without power for a week so when my dad retired he and my mom moved up to austin and they put a 20 kilowatt generator on their house. Now, Austin is far inland <laughs> compared to where they used to live, yes. right? Um, and the longest power outage I have ever experienced in Austin was was also a hurricane. It was Harvey. was was thirty hours, right? But it was not a week. Yeah. Um, and uh, they put in this generator. Now they didn't lose power, uh, but I, the way I've for years described it is at the residential level these things become a consumer decision yes. and it, it, there's only two yeses you have to, to say. And that is, do I want it? <laughs> That's the first one. And if the answer is yes, the next question is, do I think I can afford it? Yeah. It's not even, can you actually afford it? Right. You just have to yeah. think you can afford it. Right. Yes. Um, and, and if you answer yes to both those things, odds are you're going to buy it. Like that is, yeah. that is like, store layouts are are determined by by forcing those two decisions right um and so so you know they put it in and of, of course dad can afford it right like he can have that generator and he's used it twice and he's been very happy about it but i think the total time has been about 45 minutes yeah like, i think they've actually had about 45 minutes of total outage where that generator fired up yes, yes. um <laughs> so 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 yeah the those homeowner decisions are going to be very different than the sort of the 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 small light commercial businesses where you have yes. uh, a support staff or you know 
a comptroller, an accountant, and a buildings facility manager that all have to get together and say, does it check all the boxes? Because they're not going to have two boxes. They're going to have 30, right? Can we permit it? Can we put it in? When's it going to, you know, all these things, like they're going to go through a very logical step, uh, you know, very logical set of decisions in order to to put that in there. But that's, it's fascinating, the data. I don't, you know, it's, it's all theoretically it could be there for, for sort of load shifting purposes. You don't need the granularity of data that we collect, right? Like you don't need to know how much is going to a refrigerator versus an HVAC versus a, yes. uh, that's a completely different data set for completely different purposes in terms yes. of sort of managing a building's load versus shifting that load. It, you know, the smart meter data is there, but access to it's really difficult. Yeah. Like getting it can be very, yeah. very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, even for customers to get their own data, it takes a little work. You know? <laughs> Rich, come on, that's that—that that doesn't seem right. But okay, uh, I mean, I, you see it all the time, so yeah. They're not—they're not always willing to get it. You know, you have to prove to them that it's worth their time. So, yeah, so that—that's—that's uh, that's one thing that would be very nice to have. So if you could wave a magic wand, I'm going to go to the, the classic magic wand question. I, I ask this on almost everybody that shows up here. So you're, everybody gets it. If you could wave a magic wand and make one thing disappear that, that blocks you from doing what you want to do, what would that be? That's a tough question. You know, there's so many things that I want. <laughs> um, hmm. I've always wanted to be independently wealthy, but somehow I've missed my destiny. <laughs> I don't know how that how there can you can have such an existential quandary and just miss your own destiny. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Well, we talked about you know market participation for all DERs, right? Yep. And there's and twenty two twenty two helps, right? Yes, it, it will. I mean, yeah, yeah. So it, I I was thinking, you know, I'm not going to say all right, we didn't everything to be cheaper. Right, you want you want you want all these things to be cheaper, but that's okay. That's that's a boring answer. Um, If I gave you something a little bit more practical, is um, you know incentives help? Incentives clearly help. We need more energy storage, though, and I I would like to see more incentives for energy storage in key markets. And then also, I would I would like those incentives um, to be guaranteed transparent upfront right there there are there are lead times and everything and i won't get into too many details but just i think you're the first uh, person to use the word transparency with yeah. with respect to those because, because transparency you know, is tough with these things yeah like it's and, tough to read these things and figure out what your ultimate what your ultimate end dollar is like like yeah. those those poor people that have to do that as their job to figure out these, like, I feel bad for them. Like I read these things enough and I'm going, Oh, well, that's like, you know, I, I that's one of my part-time jobs. And then there's, there's someone in our, in our, in our company who's very bright and it's part of his job. It's his job, you know? And so, but the thing is, um, you know, even the, even the ones that we have just say energy storage, cause I feel like, you know, microgrids often have energy. So that's pretty key. You have to have a dispatchable asset. Right. And, and, and the challenge is that, you know, they're there, they're probably going to arrive, but you're asking people to commit to buying things and putting things in. Um, and there's still no, it's not certain that you're going to be able to, to get that. So you could you imagine, 
you know, buying a car. I'm like, hey, you know, I'll sell you this car. There's a pretty good chance I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a 50% discount, you know, at some point after you own it for a year or two. I'm pretty sure. I know a guy. And <laughs> or conversely, that the 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 market, yeah, right. Like the discount's one thing, but even the market yeah. participation. That's that's yeah. I'm gonna sell you a car. And and there's a ninety percent chance that you will still be allowed to use the roads in four years. Yeah, yeah. Right? You can probably <laughs> use the highway. I know you can use the streets in the city. I'm pretty sure you can use the interstates at some point in the next five years. We're going to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and now uh, the person buying the car is sitting there going, "Really? Wait, what? <laughs> I." I, I I don't think I need this. I, I need like a bicycle. I can't, you know, I don't. Yeah. So the, those are some of the things that would help, you know, it would make, it would make things that we already have now more effective. Um, and, and I do think that, uh, you know, energy storage is key and I think will continue to be key. And, and so I would like to, to see, um, see those would be a bit more transparent. So, so at the beginning, you said your your advisor warned you that you know that your physics degree, <laughs> right, would yeah. would um, allow you to people or make have people listen to you about things that they probably shouldn't. That's right. Uh, when when I got my engineering degree, um, uh, I had relatives that wanted me to fix their VCRs, <laughs> uh, which brings me on a technology side. Is there something? Is there something that you you see is missing? Like. Is there a widget that, um, or are we really close to being there in terms of the technology that we can deploy? Yeah, I, I was just, you know, I think when I think about that, I, when I think about challenges for, you know, large scale deployment of DERs for resilience, lower carbon, I don't think of te technology barriers are not at top of mind. Okay. You no, know, it, it's you know, we talk about solar. Okay, if you could go to multi-junction solar or whatever, and maybe get higher efficiency at a lower, but that's just cost. Right. At the end of the day, it's cost and system size. And um, so, man, I just I think okay, as a technologist and a, <laughs> being an R and D for you know over a decade, it's it's a challenge to say this, but I just we need to continue to do R and D. Obviously, and technology is important but it's not on the critical path for large scale adoption of DERs. It's more about, um, you know, removing some of the red tape and speeding up the process and driving out costs so that um, the technology that we have today can be deployed at a larger scale. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that, that's my view. You know, there are, I think um, when you get on sort of the the system optimization and operation side, maybe there there could be uh, some incremental changes there that would help you get more of the assets you have, and that's something that we look at as well. How do you optimize operations using machine learning and other things? But um, you know, I think the big ones are not not technology related in terms of large scale adoption. Yeah, uh, and that makes sense on the the commercial side. We're we're still seeing a little bit on the residential side. Like a lot of the a lot of the early solar deployment um, snafus are are being resolved, right? Okay. Like, it used to be like like, gosh, back 
like way back when, because before, before Pecan Street, I worked for a solar panel manufacturer, like even the standardization around connectors and yes. racking and things like that. Like it wasn't, it wasn't standardized. Yeah. And so you yeah. could, you could have a truck full of solar panels and the guys are all standing there going, I can't put these on the roof. We got the wrong racking. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. and then, and then of course your prices go up and everything, you know, associated with that. We're still seeing a little bit of that kind of stuff around, uh, communications and the exact feature sets of that, that, that sort of these quote unquote, smart, advanced, smart inverter functions, like these advanced volt bar, volt watt, like exactly how you deploy it, exactly how it behaves and stuff like that. Uh, We're still seeing that, but, but, you know, from my peripheral knowledge on the, the commercial light commercial side, a lot of that is either gone or going away very quickly. And a lot of that. So yeah, what your answer makes sense there. Like that does not surprise me. I just have to ask because the engineer in me always wants to know, well, what things, you know, even though I couldn't fix my relative's VCRs at the time, yeah, because yeah. that was more of a mechanical problem. Um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, there. <laughs> um, the engineer in me always wants to know, well, what do we need? Like, is there a yeah. is there a thing that I can just go make, and then and then all of a sudden this gets better? But but uh, yeah, you know, my my from what I've seen, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, right? It's 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 more along the lines of how do I bid it into a market? How do I get it paid for? How do I, how do I make it interact with the, the marketplace that's there? Like all yes. of that stuff is yes. just still a little too nebulous for, for true comfort. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the, 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 you know, legacy energy players, those rules have been sort of beat on for years and and they get changed, but they you know everybody sort of pushes forward and understands the impact of the changes because they got ten years operating under the old rule and they they know right. Yeah. We we just don't have as much of that at this point. We and we're still struggling. We're in that learning curve still on that. Yep. All right, John. Thank you so much for uh, uh, coming on today. I, I I enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, no problem, Scott. Anytime. Awesome. All right. Well, stay safe. Thank you very much. You too. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed it, please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or visit pecanstreet.org slash podcast for a full list of episodes. I'm Rachel Jenkins. And I'm Colin Rowan. Thanks again for joining us.